This is a special broadcast of Civic from the San Francisco Public Press and Mayor London Breed's press conference from the Department of Emergency Management on April 24th. As a city, um, we have mobilized to combat this public health crisis. Um, we've been focusing on our frontline responders, uh, our healthcare workers, and our essential employees, and what they need to protect themselves. Uh, these are the people who are, of course, our healthcare professionals, our first responders, and people who are actually our essential city workforce, um, the folks who are driving the muni buses, the people who are managing uh, traffic, the people uh, who are providing uh, the, the grocery store clerks and others who continue to support um, the city as we deal with these real challenges. And I, I wanna be clear that from the very beginning we knew that it was important uh, to ensure that we were protecting the people that we expected to show up to work uh, in their various capacities. And the sad reality uh, is what we've had to deal with around a lack of coordination on the federal level around PPE uh, has made it really very challenging. Uh, today I wanna talk just a little bit about those challenges and what we've faced uh, as we continue to provide the resources necessary to try and protect our workforce. Uh, but I wanna start by, and I wanna start by thanking uh, the city administrator, Naomi Kelly, uh, and her team in the Office of Contract Administration. Uh, because of their efforts, uh, we have been able to uh, purchase 15 million pieces of PPE. That's the N95 masks, general masks, the gowns, and the other uh, personal protective equipment necessary to keep people safe as they work uh, and as they support our population of people who sadly uh, may be hospitalized due to COVID-19. The gloves, the gowns, the surgical mask, and those, the face shields. Um, and we've also received donations through our Give to SF program from uh, organizations like Flexport and Facebook, and we truly appreciate those contributions. Um, our governor, uh, the state, has provided us with one million pieces of PPE. And so we have really um, been very diligent about getting access to uh, PPE to make sure, as I said, that um, our frontline workers are protected and that people have what they need to continue to provide essential services to the city. And you hear the, the conversations that take place not only here in San Francisco, but all over the state. The fact that we have declared a state of emergency, even in San Francisco, as of February 25th of this year, the fact that we have been struggling to get access to PPE even before then, and this has been at the forefront of every conversation that every city has had um, expressing a strong need for this personal protective equipment, yet again, and, and this is no excuse, but the, the, the challenges that we continue to face uh, as a result of a coordinated response from our federal government has really 
uh, put us all at a disadvantage. And in fact, I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the challenges that we've had. We've had issues of our orders being relocated by suppliers in China. Uh, for example, we had isolation gowns that were on their way to San Francisco and they were diverted uh, to France. Uh, we've had situations when things that we've ordered that have gone through customs were confiscated by FEMA to be diverted to other locations because, again, we know that everyone is dealing with a very serious challenge. And even um, when we've been fortunate enough in some cases to see PPE get through uh, customs, we've had situations where uh, those items have been taken and put out on the market for the highest bidder, putting cities against cities and states against states. And it has been really, I got to tell you, one of the most frustrating things to deal with. And the fact that during this, the height of this pandemic, we're still having a conversation about PPE, uh, is, is, it really does blow my mind. And it is nothing that has been more frustrating. Because when we talk about the need uh, to get back to opening up our cities and our country, one of the most important things we need is to make sure that people have what they need to protect themselves. That we have PPE and that we have swabs and testing kits so that we're able to test more people. Uh, and so we are, I want, you to know that we are working tirelessly on this. We are pushing for creative uh, solutions to get what we need. And in fact, UCSF, uh, through their generosity in providing San Francisco General some additional equipment has been amazing and Dignity Health and having access to their suppliers. We've all locally here in the hospital community have been working together to get everything that we need because we know how critical all of this is now uh, as we go through this and as we have this shelter in place order, but what happens when we start uh, to look at ways and solutions to get our cities back on track and to get our cities open, it's gonna be necessary even then uh, because it's gonna take us a while before we get a vaccine, which means testing and PPE and having not only sufficient supply, but access to get sufficient supply will be critical uh, to uh, the future of this city. And we won't give up. We will continue to do what we can uh, to access um, the, the equipment and supplies that we need. Dr. Colfax talked about our efforts to expand testing, which is something that we will continue to ramp up. But um, as he mentioned on Wednesday, the bottleneck we face right now is often due to the lack of the basic swabs and not necessarily the testing capacity. Uh, so we just wanted to make sure that uh, as you hear about some of these challenges that you're aware of why they are challenges. I know it seems as though it should be a lot simpler. We have the money to purchase the PPE. Why can't we purchase the PPE? And the fact is, it is clearly complicated. You hear mayors and governors talk about this on a regular basis, and we are getting as creative as we can uh, to get what we need to support our city. And uh, in many instances, we have been fortunate beneficiaries of the generosity of 
as I said, Flexport and Facebook and Salesforce and others who continue to be incredible partners in helping to advocate for and get access to uh, PPE to help our cities move forward. So I want to thank them. Um, we, I want to just also talk a little bit and um, as I said, Dr. Colfax will get into more details about the testing and the PPE and some of the things that we need to do that are critical to uh, public health. And I also know that in addition to the public health crisis that we are in the midst of, that there's also another crisis that has emerged, and that's an economic crisis. And the fact is, um, this has been a long time for people who have no other means of, of, of access to money. Uh, this is a long time to be out of work and to figure out what you're going to do. It's one of the reasons why we felt it was important, um, despite what's happening with um, access to unemployment, to have resources available so that people can get food um, through Give2SF and providing support for our small business community. Uh, in fact, we've been able to add another $1 million to uh, the flexible grant program that we started a couple months ago to provide some initial assistance to our small business, and we will continue to raise private dollars and look for other resources to help support our small business community. And as we think about the future and what this means, um, we, we set up a recovery task force a couple of weeks ago, and um, they are going to be uh, convening today uh, to talk specifically about where do we go once we reopen, even um, as we look at um, what's happening with uh, other um, states that are opening now, and as far as I'm concerned, we don't want to move that quickly. We want to make sure that we have systems in place to protect people. This is going to require uh, a, a, an approach where we are working hand-in-hand hand with our public health professionals. Uh, when we look at various industries and we analyze what could be done in order to protect people, um, to allow those industries to move forward, uh, we want to make sure that we are thoughtful in our recommendations, but we are also getting the support and the clearance from our public health experts to move in that direction. Uh, we know that this weekend is coming up. Today is a beautiful day in San Francisco. Uh, this weekend is going to be a beautiful weekend in San Francisco. And I want to really take this opportunity to caution people um, about wanting to get back to um, things that are more familiar. I know your kids want to play with their friends. I know you want to see your friends. I know so many of you want to have interactions with one another uh, in, uh, in person rather than over the phone or online. Uh, and I, I want to just say that we hear about San Francisco and how great San Francisco is doing all over the world, and, and we're being used as an example of how to manage the situation right. But I want to just remind you, we have 1,340 1, people who have tested positive with the virus, and it is estimated that about 12% of the people we've tested overall um, have the virus, which means that there's a possibility, clearly, that there are others who are asymptomatic in our community that have the virus and have the ability to uh, infect other people. 
Uh, and what we don't want to see is on nice days like this and other days, people who are out there in the communities and because they have on a mask, they're still not social distancing themselves from one another. Uh, and going back into the habits of what is familiar and engaging with one another and not socially distancing and getting comfortable and getting complacent. And then a week from now, we wonder why our numbers have shot up uh, from that number of 1,340 to two or three or 4,000 uh, with even more deaths. So this is what's at stake. As, as, as good as it might seem, the situation that we're in now, the numbers are still going up. The number of people who are in ICU is, has gone up. The number of people who, are, uh, who have passed away continues to rise. And that means that now more than ever, we can't uh, give up and we have to move forward. And I know, as I say, I know I say every week, every time we have a press conference, I know it's hard. I know it's hard, which is why it's important that as we uh, are talking and convening in our economic recovery task force, we are developing uh, ways to uh, make recommendations to the Department of Public Health of things that we could potentially uh, make available to the public. Um, so next week we'll have some more announcements about that, uh, but the goal is we, we definitely want uh, to work with our public health experts and our various industries to figure out are there things that we can do because the reality is, and, and people are asking about this, will the public health order get extended? The likelihood that that will happen um, is very likely. And what that means is you know, another few weeks or even a month of uh, asking you all to comply and to remain at home and to continue to follow the social distancing orders that we put forth. But what it also means is an opportunity uh, for us with our economic recovery task force to start to explore ways in which we can make some things available that are currently unavailable to all of us. Uh, so it is a process because how we reopen um, is going to be important to ensuring that we do it responsibly so that we don't go backwards. Uh, and we also have to make sure that we have enough of the PPE and the testing uh, necessary so that if we do decide uh, to allow uh, a particular industry or something to become available, that we're able to deal with that, that we put the appropriate requirements into place for social distancing, and we also have the appropriate PPE so that they are able to protect themselves. And more importantly, we have the testing and we have the capacity in our hospitals necessary to deal with a surge at any given time. It's a process. It's a process that requires patience. It's a process that requires resources. Um, and so I wanna thank the people in San Francisco, especially for uh, just supporting the process and being responsible and uh, helping us uh, through this pandemic because uh, it is important that as many of us as we possibly can, that we uh, comply with this order and that we continue to do our very best to stay at home, go out and get fresh air if we need it, uh, 
and keep our distance from people when we're outside. The mask does not mean that you can come closer to people. It means that we're just asking you to wear a mask to protect yourself and to protect other people, but we're still asking you to keep a distance of six feet. Uh, the mask does not take place, does not uh, take place of social distancing. Uh, and I also just want to say um, that I've also heard about a number of situations where people have been walking and they're not wearing a mask and they're just outside walking and they've had people make comments and threatening comments in some particular instances. And I want to be clear, we are not asking people or requiring that people wear masks when they're out walking their dogs or they're taking a walk or they're doing, they're jogging or maybe riding their bike. We're asking that when you are uh, at the grocery store or in line at the grocery store, at the gas station, in line at the gas station, uh, at the pharmacy, in line at the pharmacy, inside any facility where you are in contact with other people, for the most part are in line with other people, that's when we're asking you to wear a mask. And I also want to reiterate that if you're not a police officer, please don't act like you're a police officer. We have police officers to police our streets. And what we don't want to happen is the continued animosity towards someone who's, who appears to not be following the directive and an altercation occurs and the tension occurs and it continues to get worse. More than ever, we need people to be understanding. We need people to be uh, nicer to one another. We need goodness and we need kindness. And we need you to focus on you. Uh, we need people to focus on the fact that they and their family should be complying with wearing a mask or keeping their distance. We don't need people to police other people uh, because that could turn into an even worse situation. Uh, and we understand that it might be frustrating to see someone violating the rules. Uh, but again, I guarantee you, if you are following the rules and doing everything you can, uh, then you are setting the example. Others will follow and we will be better off for it. Uh, so I would appreciate uh, if, if we all continue to do our very best, we all continue to try and put some goodness and some positive energy out there in the universe. This is challenging for all of us. It is difficult for all of us. None of us is immune from the physical and emotional impacts that this is taking on, on, on our city. And I want us to remember that and do the very best we can as we weather this storm. Uh, so thank you all for your cooperation and your understanding. And if there is any information that you're looking for, uh, please feel free to check out our website, sfgov.org. Please also call 311 if you have any questions or concerns, if you know someone who needs help, support, food, or, or what have you. Um, I continue to say this, and I know they're saying it all over the world. We really are in this together. What impacts one person in our community impacts all of us. And so that's why it's so critical as we are, um, we've been in this situation for some time now, and uh, now is not the time to give up. Now is the time uh, to roll up our sleeves and, and just keep it moving and do the very best we can. 
uh, because what we want to do is look back on this pandemic and be proud of what we've been able to do here in San Francisco to protect and to save lives. So thank you again for your cooperation. And at this time, um, I'd like to introduce our Director of the Department of Public Health, Dr. Grant Colfax. Thank you, Mayor Breed. And good afternoon. I'm Dr. Grant Colfax, Director of Health for San Francisco. I would like to express my gratitude and thanks to the mayor for her leadership and the work of City Administrator Naomi Kelly with regard to ensuring that our frontline workers, our teams throughout the health department, and the patients who we care for have had access always to the necessary personal protective equipment, the PPE, according to CDC guidelines, for them to be safe and for our patients and their families to be as safe as possible. The PPE continues to be an issue. Our supplies have sometimes gotten quite low given the challenges across the city, across the region, across the nation. It's taken tremendous amount of work and I just want to express gratitude again for ensuring that people have consistently and had and always have had the PPE that they need that is necessary and in accordance with the science, the data, and the facts. Today, I would also like to provide you with an update on the data, including citywide cases, outbreaks, and the effects of the coronavirus in our community. Even as we continue to make progress in flattening the curve, we are continuing to see impacts on our most vulnerable populations. The story here in San Francisco, the data and facts continue to tell the story here in San Francisco and will always guide our response. Today, there are 1,340 San Francisco residents with confirmed cases of coronavirus. Of these, 134 or about 10% are people experiencing homelessness or living in SROs. That is unfortunately a large proportion. We also know, as we have said from the beginning, that older people and people with underlying health conditions are more vulnerable to COVID-19 and are at greater risk for bad outcomes, including, unfortunately, death. Of the 22 San Franciscans who have died from the coronavirus, 21 of them were over 60 years old, and all 22 had underlying health conditions. This is consistent for what we know about who is most at risk. So, even as we expand testing, add capacity to our healthcare system, and watch the number of hospitalized patients closely, we know that many members of our community remain at risk of significant harm from the coronavirus. And as we move forward in our response and look at the next steps in terms of reopening, we will continue to protect those most vulnerable populations. We simply must do so. One of my chief concerns 
and a top priority for the health department is mitigating the outbreaks that are occurring in the homeless population, long-term care facilities, and other congregate living settings. This is a challenge not only within San Francisco, but across the, across the region and indeed across the nation. In San Francisco, we will continue to work diligently on these settings where the virus presents the greatest threat. In the past few weeks, we have responded to several outbreaks. These are unfortunate, but also unfortunately not surprising. Outbreaks are part of the pattern of this pandemic. And they are happening in every place where the coronavirus is spreading in the country and again here in our community. The virus looks for opportunities where people are gathered together. For example, across California, there are 258 skilled nursing facilities that have reported one or more coronavirus cases among residents or staff. Here in San Francisco, the Department of Health staff call every skilled nursing facility in the city several times a week to check on the COVID status of residents and staff. We hold weekly calls with them to provide education on infection control, prevention, and outbreak preparedness. From the start, we have published guidelines for long-term care and residential facilities that are up to date with CDC and the state's latest information. We want to support these institutions to be as prepared as possible. And when there are outbreaks in congregate settings, we take immediate action based on evidence and CDC and state guidelines. In San Francisco, there have been outbreaks at Laguna Honda Hospital, MSC South Shelter, Central Gardens Long-Term Care Facility, and Casa Quezada, a supportive housing site. We have responded in each situation based on the evidence. We have supported the organizations with contact investigations, testing, and screening. We have provided masks and other personal protective equipment as required. We have imposed quarantines and in some cases temporarily closed facilities for deep cleaning and evaluation. We have moved residents into hotels or to medical care settings dependent on their needs. All of this work has been done in collaboration with local, state, and federal partners. And in particular, our partnership with the state is highly relevant in, with the long-term care facilities in the city because the state has oversight on their licensing and responsibility for inspecting them to ensure that they are complying with state guidelines. And I would like to point out that we've had occasions where outbreaks have been prevented or minimized due to advanced planning and quick responses. At Laguna Honda Hospital, we asked for experts from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and the state to come in early to support our outbreak response. And the CDC remains on site and continues to help advise and guide our efforts. To date, we have had 19 positive cases at Laguna Honda Hospital, 15 among staff and four among residents. 
And Laguna Han Hospital is one of the largest, if not the largest, skilled nursing facility in the nation with over 750 residents. Of the four residents who have tested positive for COVID-19, all are in good condition. We have not had a new resident case since April 7th, which is an indication that our aggressive efforts undertaken with CDC guidance to isolate, quarantine, test, and screen for now have been effective. The CDC recommendations we implemented at Laguna Honda are now being and will continue to be applied to protect staff and residents at other nursing home facilities across the city. In our jail system, we took aggressive steps to protect inmates and staff. We expanded jail health services to include testing and quarantine of all new bookings that are housed in jail. This allowed us to discover two asymptomatic and unrelated cases of coronavirus to date. This practice combined with enforcing social distancing pro protocols and masking of all staff has likely prevented an outbreak so far. The two confirmed cases have been released and there are no known cases of COVID-19 at this time in the county jail. Now, of course, this could change and the situation at Laguna Honda could change rapidly as well. But my point is that we are establishing very specific protocols and taking very specific action and being flexible in our response based on responding to the very specific circumstances under which these outbreaks in vulnerable populations occur. And we will continue in partnership with other city departments, community members, and other stakeholders that oversee and in some cases run these institutions. Most recently, on Wednesday this week, we confirmed a second case of coronavirus at the Division Circle Navigation Center, three weeks after the first case was reported there. We are currently conducting a contact investigation as we do for cases discovered. At this point, it is unlikely that the two cases are linked given what we know about the virus. Testing of the 59 remaining guests and staff is underway. At Division Circle, we moved swiftly and after the first case in partnership with HSA and HSH to relocate vulnerable people out of the navigation center and to isolation, quarantine and shelter in place, hotels. So the population there has been reducing, lowering the risk. These examples reflect why it is so important to prioritize vulnerable populations in these settings from the start. People over the age of 60, people with comorbid conditions. Here are some of the steps that we have taken to protect vulnerable populations. You know about the efforts to mitigate the spread of the virus, to slow the spread of the virus in the community canceling large gatherings, requiring face coverings, and issuing the stay-at-home order. These actions 
are about protecting vulnerable populations, as well as, of course, our entire community. We have also issued health orders restricting people from visiting long-term care facilities and residential facilities. We have provided education on prevention and required cleaning of SROs. We have worked in partnership with the Human Services Agency and the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing to increase social distancing and other precautions in shelters and to move people into hotels. Outreach teams continue to go out every day to communicate with people who are living on the streets and provide them with resources and information. For people experiencing homelessness, living in SROs, or in crowded conditions, we are fortunate to have options like isolation, quarantine hotels, to re relocate people safely. As of today, thanks to the partnerships with the other departments, 864 people who are over 60 or who have chronic illnesses or underlying health conditions have been moved to hotels. And it is very important to realize that in all of these settings, we have been able to test everyone who has shown symptoms, all close contacts of confirmed cases, and when mass testing was warranted, we have been able to carry that out. I am proud of this work and grateful to the staff of truly compassionate, world-class experts who have been working around the clock since January to accomplish these efforts. And yet, I know, we know, that outbreaks are likely to continue as long as the virus is here in our community. I want to assure you that we are doing everything we can to reduce the spread of the virus, protect vulnerable populations, and healthcare workers and first responders. We need all San Franciscans to keep doing everything you can do to protect them as well. That means, again, stay home, cover your face, practice physical distancing. You are not just protecting yourself. You are contributing to the overall health of the community and making it a safer place for people who are most vulnerable to the virus. You are literally saving lives. And I want to reassure you that we are planning for the future. Our ability as a community to return to a new normal will rely on everyone continuing to do their part. It will also depend on a strong system to respond to outbreaks, increase testing, have adequate personal protective equipment, and conduct rapid and effective contact tracing to slow the spread of the virus. In San Francisco, I know we can do this, and we must do this together. I thank you all for your ongoing hard work and efforts to keep San Francisco safe and to slow the spread of the coronavirus. Thank you. And Director Abigail Stewart-Kahn of the Homelessness and Supportive Housing Department will now make some remarks. 
Providing safe places for people experiencing homelessness to isolate, quarantine, or shelter in place is a top priority for the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing, the Department of Public Health, and the entire city. Additionally, the city is working to expand testing citywide with a focus on vulnerable communities, as Dr. Colfax just shared in detail, including people experiencing homelessness. As we expand testing, capacity, we know that we will need more places for people experiencing homelessness who test positive for COVID-19 to go to isolate, receive care, and to recover. To that end, HSH, in partnership with the Human Services Agency and the Department of Public Health, and our exceptional nonprofit partners are opening new facilities. You've heard a great deal about these over the course of the last many weeks. To date, we've opened five shelter-in-place hotels, as well as multiple isolation and quarantine hotels, with more planned rapidly. This has been incredibly hard and incredibly critical expansion. I want to briefly share a story of a voicemail I received from a colleague from somebody who moved from the street inside and left a voicemail saying that he hadn't been near a bed in over in many years and was going to sleep for 24 hours so that he could recover and try not to get sick with COVID. And he offered his gratitude to my colleague and to all of San Francisco for this place to be safe. Additionally, we're expanding congregate capacity to meet this need. This week, the city opened MSC South and Moscone West as post-COVID congregate shelters for people experiencing homelessness who have tested positive for COVID-19 and no longer need medical attention and have cleared their isolation period. This week, as Dr. Colfax reminded us, a second positive case of COVID-19 was confirmed at the Division Circle Navigation Center. As Dr. Colfax reviewed, we had already completed shelter equilibrium there, meaning the vulnerable individuals had been moved into our shelter in place, isolation and quarantine sites. Through the immediate, excuse me, through thorough and immediate contact investigation has led DPH to test all remaining guests and staff and all guests of the Division Circle Navigation Center are being transferred to isolation and quarantine hotels. Given that this shelter will very soon be empty, it will be reopened as a shelter for people experiencing homelessness who have tested positive for COVID-19 but do not require hospitalization. As we expand testing, we anticipate that we will have more people who are asymptomatic and living with COVID but who, and who will need a resource like this one. In its, new, in its revised capacity, Division Circle will function similarly to existing isolation and quarantine sites with on-site Department of Public Health support, 24-7 staffing and security, meals, and social services. The shelters and hotels do not increase risk for the surrounding community or neighbors, both because we know that many are positive in all of San Francisco, and because guests are educated and supported on how to best care for themselves and will remain in isolation with care for the course of their illness. The mayor, the Department of Public Health, the police department, and all of the city have and continue to implore every San Franciscan to practice precautions, such as staying at home, physical distancing, covering your face and, and, and nose, and washing your hands. These are important 
for all of us. Thank you to the partners that have made these expansions possible to open hotels and congregate facilities, including the Department of Public Health, Human Services Agency, the Emergency Operations Center, and all of the exceptional nonprofits who are stepping up to provide that support. Thank you. We will now have remarks from Chief William Scott of the San Francisco Police Department. Good, e good afternoon, everyone. Uh, as always, I will start my remarks by thanking our Mayor London Bree for her leadership and the leadership of our Health Director, Dr. Grant Colfax. Their leadership has been instrumental in getting us through this continually challenging time. <clears throat> I want to, again, thank the people of San Francisco as well. Uh, it was very gratifying that for 420 this past Monday, people stayed at home and basically um, did not come out to the parks to celebrate 420, and that was a, a big thing for us. So I want to thank everyone for uh, working with us on that, and uh, your efforts are actually making a difference in saving lives. We are seeing that the vast majority of the public is committed to stopping the spread of COVID-19, and with that said, we have had instances where people and businesses who have been warned continue to flout the order, and those folks have been cited. Uh, to date, we have 17 citations that have been issued by San Francisco police officers. That breakdown is eight businesses and nine individuals. We've admonished 73 people where incident reports have been taken, and as I have stated previously, there have been hundreds upon hundreds of informal warnings. And for the most part, again, I'd like to thank the people of San Francisco for complying, uh, by and large, when officers interact with them. From the outset of the original public health order in mid-March, the San Francisco Police Department has made it clear that our focus is education and voluntary compliance. Enforcement has been an option of last resort, and that has been also largely successful in those times when we have had to do that in terms of getting compliance. We will continue to use a progressive compliance pathway, which starts with education, asking for voluntary compliance, warnings and citations if and when necessary. You can use the COVID-19 website on our SFPD website or our webpage to learn about our enforcement protocols. Our department policies and notices are posted on our website. The purpose of the public health order is not to arrest or cite, but it's about promoting the health and welfare of our communities in our great city by preventing the spread of the virus. As I've said before, we're, we are here to help. We want to get through this situation in a way that does not make this situation worse for the people of our city. And as the mayor said, and I will reiterate what the mayor said, we all have a personal responsibility to help stop the spread of this virus. We're pleased that we're working with our Human Rights Commission under the leadership of Executive Director Cheryl Davis. The HRC is providing community stakeholders with face coverings thanks to the mayor's Give to SF campaign. campaign. Uh, we are out with Commissioner Davis and community stakeholders issuing face coverings today as, as we speak, actually. And uh, we were out in the Bayview community yesterday. And we want people to know that we understand how difficult this is. And there are people within our city 
who are having a very difficult time. Uh, most of us are having a very difficult time with this. There are people who don't have access to face coverings. And we want to make sure that we do everything possible as a city to help those who need help. And that's why we're out with the community, with Director Davis, helping to make sure that people have what they need to stay safe and stay healthy. This is enabling the city to help those vulnerable populations and will go a long way toward preventing the spread of COVID-19. Now, as we see, today is a beautiful day and the weather is very nice and we expect that to continue through the weekend. And we know a lot of people will want to get out and exercise, get fresh air and enjoy the nice weather this weekend. If you are going to go outside and leave your homes, please follow the advice of our public health officials. Please follow the protocols, maintain a distance of at least six feet, wear face coverings when you're waiting in line or shopping, as the mayor has emphasized, and Dr. Colfax and his colleagues have emphasized. And as the weekend progresses, you're probably gonna see a large amount of people out. Be respectful, be mindful, and do what's best for the health of the people that you love. Our volunteers are working with our alert program and we will be out in the parks promoting this educational information and reminding people to keep the distance of six feet and wear your face coverings. Again, our goal is to help and gain voluntary compliance. Now I wanna shift a little bit to crime. Uh, no updates from our Wednesday press briefing. Again, we've had an increase of 18% in part one violent crimes, which was led by 11 additional robberies and two additional assaults. We've had a 31% decrease in property crimes over last week. That was a, a decrease of 154 fewer property crimes. And we've had a 25% decrease in our total part one crimes, which is a decrease of 142 total part one crimes. We've had some burglaries and vandalisms, as I have reported, and we want the public to be assured that we are still out there. Uh, we've made several arrests on burglaries in our city, and we wanna thank the district attorney's office for partnering with us to add the charges of looting to those folks that are taking advantage of businesses by burglarizing businesses during a time of a state of emergency. Despite our drop in overall part one crimes, I wanna highlight that we are taking this issue very seriously. And I also wanna highlight and remind people about driving. The Highway Patrol, the California Highway Patrol has reported that they've seen an 87% jump in violations of people driving more than 100 miles an hour. And that is completely unacceptable. We want to remind people that this pandemic does not give anyone the license to drive in a reckless or dangerous manner. And please slow down. We know the streets are, are a little bit easier for everyone, but please slow down. Um, we have not had any focus on the five deaths since this pandemic started in our city, and we'd like to keep it that way. So personal responsibility, as the mayor stated, we all have a personal responsibility to do what's right, and that includes driving at safe speeds, even though traffic is light. We want to thank those for who, who, those folks who are conducting their essential travel in a safe way, 
and we hope that everyone does that as well. As also the Municipal Transportation Agency rolls out our Slow Streets program, it's imperative that drivers obey the laws and slow down. Let me repeat that. Please slow down. You have to share the road with pedestrians, bicyclists, and people who are going to be out enjoying the weather and trying to get fresh air and exercise. So please, again, slow down. As a reminder, we also want to encourage everyone to report crimes. Um, if you see a violent crime in process or progress, please call 911. If the crime has already been committed or it's a property crime or a crime where you don't need an immediate response, you can call our non-emergency line at 415-553-0123. You can also call 311 or utilize our SFPD website to either make or request a police report. And lastly, I want to reemphasize the message about scams and not have our public falling for scams. Unfortunately, during this very difficult time, there are people out there that will take advantage of the situation and take advantage of you. Um, normally, they focus on vulnerable populations such as our elderly. We know that the Federal Trade Commission says that they have received four times as many complaints about identity fraud, uh, identity fraud during this last month than the year prior, or the three months prior, I'm sorry. Also, the FBI has reported that they're seeing a spike in online scams where people are allegedly selling test kits or COVID vac vaccinations that don't exist. These scams can take the form of robocalls, emails, uh, mails and letters, and people coming to your door. Scammers claim to be with the Center for Disease Control and even our own Department of Public Health. We want you to know that nobody will be coming to your house from the Department of Public Health or the Calif I mean the Center for D Disease Control and asking to come into your house. So please don't let them in. And if you get a individual like that knocking at your door or ringing your doorbell and you believe that it's suspicious, please call 911 and we will respond. We've shared warnings about this before and we want we don't want to see people victimized. So Please um, take heed to that and let people that you know and love know that the scammers are out there. So be aware. If you believe that you have been a victim or are experiencing an online scam, you can email the federal or call the email, uh, call or email the Federal Trade Commission. Their number is 877 382-4357. That's 877-382-4357. Again, I want to wish everyone a great weekend. And as a reminder, please social distance, stay six feet away, wear your face coverings, and let's stay healthy and stay the course. Thank you. Thank you, Chief Scott. We will begin the Q&A portion with questions for Dr. Grant Colfax. Dr. Colfax. Our first question is from Christian Captain, KTVU. Can the San Francisco Department of Public Health provide more details about the four deaths at Central Gardens? So um, the state is, is leading that investigation. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we are working very closely with Central Gardens and 
the similar institutions across the city, um, ensuring that they have the most up-to-date uh, information, that they have the resources, including PPE, the training materials. Um, I can't comment specifically on, on those four deaths. We understand the California Department of Public Health is spearheading, spearheading the issue, but is San Francisco launching an investigation and are other long-term care facilities facing similar risks? So long-term care facilities across the country, including here in San Francisco, are facing risk. As we have said from the beginning of our response, uh, this population is particularly vulnerable. Uh, we saw that um, in the outbreak um, in, the, in the nursing home in, in, in Washington State, in Kirkland. Um, I think the important pieces here is that we need to ensure that we are following the best uh, uh, guidance possible with regard to CDC and the state in terms of how we protect uh, residents and staff. Um, we have infectious disease experts, including from UCSF, uh, consulting uh, with us and with the other nursing homes with regard to doing the best we can to prevent and slow the spread of the virus in these nursing homes. But yes, unfortunately, um, there are, are vulnerabilities here. Um, we are taking lessons learned from the uh, outbreak at Laguna Honda um, and, and and, and the input and the expertise from the CDC to apply those lessons to ensure that uh, the nursing homes in the city have every opportunity and uh, have, have the resources they need to apply those guidelines to protect uh, their institutions. Next, from Ida Mohadad, SF Examiner. Are all residents at Casa Quesada being tested and how many will be moved into hotels? So, um, as of uh, everyone at, the, at, at Casa Quesada has been moved to or has been offered an alternative place to stay. And that includes isolation and quarantine um, at various sites, depending on their conditions and needs. Um, as of April 23rd, uh, 71 residents uh, and staff uh, were tested and uh, 22 residents and two staff had tested positive. Um, so the bottom line is uh, we have offered uh, testing to everyone. Uh, we have offered uh, alternative sites to everyone and people who have tested uh, positive have been offered isolation and quarantine uh, sites if they have not been able to find alternatives to sufficient isolation and quarantine. How quickly does DPH notify SRO providers of cases? So we notify um, the, the, the person um, as quickly as possible and in a way that maintains the privacy of that individual. Um, we notify uh, the SRO um, uh, owners or managers that, that, there is a, that there is a case. Um, we also obviously have to be very thoughtful about how that's done to protect uh, the, the confidentiality of, of, the, of the case. Um, but we're, we are con in, in constant contact uh, with, with SROs. We have a, an SRO a task force um, ensuring that SROs have the information that they need, uh, that they're applying uh, cleaning uh, policies um, to, their, to their hotels, and that if people who uh, need uh, testing, that they have access to timely testing, and that if they need uh, isolation and quarantine rooms are not able to do it um, in, in, the, in their current living situation, that they, offer, they are offered hotel rooms. Next, from Trisha Thadani, SF Chronicle. The numbers for Laguna Honda have not risen for some time. Is it safe to say that Laguna Honda is out of the woods? I would not say that. 
Um, I think that uh, it's, it's, it's good, it's obviously good, um, good news that we haven't had a new positive um, uh, detected there um, for, for some time. But again, this is the, one of the largest, if not the largest skilled nursing facility in the United States with over 750 residents. We have hundreds of staff who are working there every day um, to take the very best care of, of our, our San Francisco residents who need such care. Um, but we are um, being vigilant. Um, we are fortunate, again, to have CDC and state experts come in to assist us when, when case, early on when cases were detected. And we are doing everything we can to apply the lessons learned and uh, hope that, uh, not only hope, but taking the actions necessary to slow the spread of the virus in Laguna Honda as is elsewhere. But again, I, um, I don't think we can say um, conclusively that, uh, that we're out of the woods. And I would not, unfortunately, be surprised if we have more cases there in the future. Have any Laguna Honda residents been moved to another hospital or facility? So of the, um, of the, of the people who were diagnosed with COVID-19, uh, there were several residents who were moved um, uh, to, to another hospital for a higher level of care. I'm pleased to say that they have returned to, uh, to Laguna Honda and are in good condition. The next question is from Alejandro Serrano, SF Chronicle. Are deaths at long-term care facilities, such as the four deaths at Central Gardens, included in San Francisco's overall COVID-19 death count? Yes, they are. How many total people in San Francisco have died in long-term care facilities? So we have 113 cases um, in long-term care facilities. Um, and I do not have the, the numbers of, of deaths um, specific to those, to those areas at this time. And I, I also just want to correct one piece, is if the resident has an address outside of San Francisco, that um, case would be reported in that, in, that, uh, in, that in that county of residence. Our final question for Dr. Colfax is from Molly Solomon, KQED. Casa Quesada is criticizing the city for moving slowly on testing and responding to cases at their SROs and others. Is San Francisco's public health department now testing everyone at these congregate SRO settings or taking more proactive measures? So we are testing people in, uh, with symptoms consistent with COVID-19, any symptom as I had announced on Wednesday, or if they are close contact of a confirmed COVID positive case, regardless of whether they have symptoms. As I mentioned, we have greatly expanded testing capacity across the city, and our vision is for universal access to COVID-19 testing. Now, we're not there yet, but uh, we're increasing our ability to, to test more people. And let me be really clear about the facts with uh, Casa Quezada, and I understand people are very concerned, as I am, uh, and people are fearful and scared. It's a, it's a scary time. Um, but basically, the, the, the data are that on April 13th, the health department confirmed uh, the first uh, case of COVID-19 in a residence of uh, Casa Quezada. Um, on April 15th, uh, after a case investigation, a second, uh, uh, pay, uh, second resident tested positive. Based on that and further investigations, um, we performed testing on site of all residents on April 19th. And um, 
we moved all residents um, and have closed the facility uh, for, for cleaning. So I, we were responsive. We were following the investigation as we do across the city when there are outbreaks like this. Um, and we were as timely and as responsive as our testing systems allowed. Thank you, Dr. Colfax. Our next set of questions are for Director Abigail Stewart-Kahn, Homelessness and Supportive Housing. The question is from Wilson Walker, KPIX. Regarding plans for the city's unsheltered homeless population and possible safe places for them to go, two weeks ago today, we were told that details on those plans would be provided in the coming days. What happened to that planning and those forthcoming details? Thanks, Wilson, for the opportunity to revisit again all of the steps taken around the unsheltered population and to speak to the potential for safe sleeping sites in San Francisco. So as I shared on Wednesday, and so I will be brief today, um, immediately as this outbreak became evident, uh, the Healthy Streets Operations Center managed by Jeff Kaczynski paused um, the removal of any tents and moved, pivoted immediately to uh, providing education, access to care and services, and resources for people living unsheltered in our community. We are aware that many of the policies that have been taken to help people living in congregate settings have made things even more challenging for people living unsheltered. That is a, that is a difficult reality that we're all confronting. And so those of us who are out and about around the city, we see that there are many people living unsheltered in our community um, and that they are highly vulnerable individuals. And so we continue to take those educational steps and the Healthy Streets Operations Center and the Emergency Operations Center here under the leadership of Mary Ellen Carroll are working on all of the steps for ver very specific and impacted neighborhoods such as the Tenderloin, um, the Bayview and the Mission communities where we see more uh, density of people living unsheltered. We need to balance the need to care for people living unsheltered and the safety of the communities for everybody living sheltered and housed in those communities. Everything is on the table uh, and everything is being considered. Safe sleeping is absolutely still part of the conversation and I'm not sure what the timeline was that Wilson you're talking about but I do know that it's in, under deep discussion by many. The, the issue here is that is one of resources, um, and not necessarily financial resources, but rather that the very people who can help support safe sleeping sites are the same people who can open uh, hotels. And it, it doesn't necessarily happen one and then the other or one faster than the other. We need to be looking at all options for people experiencing homelessness. Right now, we are very focused on moving people who are unsheltered directly into hotel rooms, which is the safest place for them to be when they are vulnerable uh, to COVID. And we are simultaneously evaluating potential safe sleeping sites across the city, um, thanks to the leadership of the Department of Emergency Management and the Emergency Operations Center. Thank you, Director. That concludes our questions for today's press conference. That concludes this special broadcast of Civic from the San Francisco Public Press and the Department of Emergency Management's press conference from April 24th. We now return to our normal programming on KSFP LP, San Francisco.